So this is lesson 16 in the study of Revelation. Last week we left off in chapters 14 and 15, and we read about the judgments of God. If you remember, when we went through chapter 14, we read this, verse 8, another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of her fury and of her immorality. However, we didn't really get any details about Babylon falling. In fact, we didn't read much about the city of Babylon at all. And then in chapter 15 we read, Then one of the four living creatures gave seven angels seven golden bowls of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one is able to enter the temple until the seven angels and seven plagues were finished. And so really when we left off last week, we're wondering about the bowls of the wrath of God and and just what was meant by Babylon the Great. There is no Babylon the Great any longer. Granted, it was once great, but no more. So who and what is Babylon for us? Well, this week we'll learn of the bowls of the wrath of God, and next week we're going to learn of Babylon, the other half of a tale of two cities. The bowls will be like the trumpets, and they will resemble the plagues of the Exodus, and we'll have much more of the same response and the same result among the people of the earth. Adonai wants his people to repent, to turn to Yeshua and be saved out of what is happening. The difference being between the trumpets and the bowls is the severity of the plague. The fact that this is the final judgment upon those who do not turn to God. God is establishing his kingdom on the earth. And in his kingdom, there is no wickedness, there is no uncleanness, and so those things must be removed from the earth, but not before God gives those people a chance to repent. And the bowls will resemble the plagues of the Exodus and also the trumpet blast. I'm going to go through them really quickly here, and then we'll focus in on them deeper, just to show how much they resemble. I put these up side by side so we can see the similarities. The first trumpet, we have hail and fire and blood on the earth. One-third of the earth is burned up. In the bowl, poured out on the earth is painful sores on those who have the mark of the beast and who worship his image. And so here, the trumpet and the bowls are, are not representative of one another, except they are against the earth as a whole. And if we compare this to the Exodus, it would be like the sixth plague, the plague of the boils. Trumpet two is a blazing mountain that falls into the sea. One third of the sea becomes blood and a third of the sea creatures die and a third of the ships are destroyed. And then in bowl two, poured out on the sea, which became blood and everything in them dies. And so again, with the second trump and the bowl, they're against the seas this time. And the trumpet, a third of the seas and a third of the creatures But with the bowl, it would seem that all of the seas and everything in them. And so here we see a great similarity, but the bowls are more severe. And we also see they resemble the plague of blood in the Exodus. Trumpet three is a blazing star that falls on a third of the rivers and fountains. The waters are poisoned and many die. Bowl three is also poured on the rivers and the fountains and they become blood. And so again, we see The plague against the waters this time and streams. The difference being the trumpet is bitter waters and the bowl is blood. But they both have the same result. They render the water undrinkable and many people are going to die. The fourth, a third of the sun, moon, and stars are struck and darkness results. And the fourth bowl is poured out on the sun, which scorches the people with fire. Here we have a 
plague against the sun, and this is a very interesting, we're going to focus on it in a little while. However, the plague, the bowl, is much more severe as it increases the sun exposure. It literally is going to bake people. Five, the fifth trumpet, is a pit is opened up, sun is darkened with smoke from which locusts emerge to torment the people without the seal of God. The fifth bowl is poured out on the throne of the beast. His kingdom is darkened and the people are in anguish. And so here, in both cases, the people are plunged into darkness, and in both cases, the wicked are tormented. And this corresponds to the plague of darkness in the Exodus. Trumpet 6 is four angels are bound at the Euphrates, are released with their cavalry of 200 million, which kills a third of humanity. And then bowl 6 is again on the Euphrates as well, and it dries up where the kings from the east, demonic frogs, deceive the kings of the world, who assemble for battle at Armageddon. And so here we have a similar plague against the Euphrates and a bowl. Six, we have some frogs which resemble the plague in the Exodus chapter 8. And then finally we have the seventh trumpet. Loud voices in heaven announce the coming of the kingdom of God and of Messiah. Lightning, thunder, earthquake, and hail occur. And bowl seven is poured into the air and a loud voice from God's throne announces it is done and there was lightning and thunder. And so both announce the kingdom of God and the trumpet announces the power and the authority of God coming into the earth to accomplish this judgment and the redemption and the bowl will announce the kingdom here in its fullness. And now that this is over, this is an overview of the trumpets and the bowls, we're going to look at them closer next at each of these plagues. In these plagues and the events leading up to the plagues, like Israel during the plagues, was kept in a place prepared for her with the rest of God's people. They are also sheltered with these plagues. You know, we should recall that the Exodus foreshadowed this because Israel was kept from the plagues on Egypt as the plagues didn't touch the land of Goshen. Something else about the bowls of the wrath of God. I'm not going to speak about what they foretell of the future. But as I've been doing, I'm going to speak of what they meant to the people in the first century. There are all kinds of books out there that you can go by that will tell you different stories about what the future is going to hold. So I'm not going to join into that narrative. One final note as we continue. These bowls, like the trumpets, will resemble the plagues on Egypt. The plagues on Egypt were against the gods of Egypt. There's nothing new here because if we look to the first century, the gods are much the same as they, are, as they were in Egypt. And something that will come out later in chapter 17 is that all of the gods are the same, just have different names in different cultures. And all the gods are really demons. And uh, they all go all the way back to Babel, where God confused languages. So let's start with Revelation 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. And so the people of the earth are tormented, but only those who worship the beast with these bowls. The plagues are directly against the people. No more warnings as we had with the trumpet calls. And so we start out immediately with the judgment upon man. When we look at the plagues on Egypt, we find that the plagues like the boils and flies and so forth were directed at Pharaoh and the people as well. But basically Pharaoh, you see, Pharaoh thought of himself as the son of Ra. 
who was the sun god. Ra was the sun god in ancient Egypt, and so Pharaoh thought of himself as a god. But with the plague of boils and pestilence, like flies and so forth, he was belittled. And when he had to go and beg an Egyptian slave for relief, he would have had to face just what kind of a god he really was, that he had no control, even over flies. And he had to go to a mere slave who did have control through the God of Israel. Well, things are no different here. People deny God today. They think of themselves as masters of their own destiny. But with these plagues, he's about to show those people on the earth, as he did Pharaoh, just how small they really are and that God is in control over all. Also, God knows that the rest of the people that we have here, those who follow the beast and the world order, are like the people of Egypt. Like the people of Egypt most often did not repent And so the plagues are much the same. The plagues has a direct correspondence to the plagues in Egypt. And here we have painful sores, just as we did in Egypt. We read in chapter 9, verse 8, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the furnace, and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt. Festering boils will break out on men and animals throughout the land. And so again, The plague this time are going directly against men, directly affect men. Boils is the sixth plague upon Egypt, but here it's the first. And so, as we saw earlier, the plagues don't follow necessarily the same order as the plagues in Egypt, in part because these plagues are going to affect men directly. And, of course, they're going to be more severe. Now, the next one is against the sea. And remember, Leviathan is a sea creature. And we're going to see the seas are going to take a beating and the waters are going to take a beating next. So it says in verse 3, The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned to blood like that of a dead man. And everything in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. Now we have a plague against the seas and the water as a whole, just as in the Exodus chapter 7 we read, And with the staff that is in my hand I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed to blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink and the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff, stretch your hand out over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, and over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will be turned to blood, and blood will be everywhere, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. And so while the plague of blood affected the streams in Egypt, the bowls will not only affect the rivers and the streams, but also the seas and all that is in them. And if we look at the same plague with the trumpets, it killed a third of the things in the seas. However, with the bowls, it would seem that everything dies. And the second trumpet, Killing a third would have caused famine, economic troubles for the world, for Egypt. In the same way, the second bowl is going to cause famine conditions, economic woes. And this is more severe because everything in the whole of the seas and the rivers is killed. And where it says everything died, if you read the Greek, it really says every living soul died. And so we might also take this to mean that along with everything in the seas, that suffered death, that suffering would also extend to the peoples who depend on the seas. The waters in ancient life were critical. And so turning the water to blood meant death, not only for the people, but you have to remember fishing was a huge industry as well.
Something else about this plague of blood. Remember, God's people have been crying out from beneath the altar. We saw that in the early chapters for vindication because they were martyred by the wicked and their blood was spilled, just like Abel's blood cried out to God. And there's a tradition among the Jewish people that God turned the water to blood in Egypt to avenge the murder of the Jewish infant boys by Pharaoh. And we can make the same correlation here as well because verse 5 and 6 says this, Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And so with the tradition that the blood in Egypt was in payment for killing the children, here we see that this plague is given for the blood of the saints and the prophets. And notice that last statement. It said that God is just in his judgments. They've shed blood of your saints. They've been given blood to drink, and blood will not sustain them. And so I want you to know something else as we go through these. In Egypt, remember, Pharaoh would go to Moses and beg for the plague to be reversed, and it was reversed. But in these plagues, there's no reversal. Nothing is reversed. It's just plague upon plague upon plague. Verse 7, And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God, almighty and true and just are your judgments. And so again, we have these people under the altar. It's the righteous, and these are the saints crying out. And uh, they're crying out, true are your judgments. They've been crying out for God to do exactly what he's doing now, to vindicate and to sanctify his name in the world and bring his kingdom on the earth. So he's cleansing the earth of its wickedness, corruption, and its violence. Now, when we study the feast, which is going to be our next study, in the feast of Yom Kippur, we're going to see a shadow of the judgment of the wicked as well. The theme for Yom Kippur, for the offerings and everything for Yom Kippur, is actually cleansing the sanctuary, lest the sins of Israel get so high that God would have to depart. And that's what God is doing here. He's cleansing the earth. And the reason is simple. He made the earth and all that's in it. He made man to dwell with him on the earth. In Genesis, we read that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, calling for Adam. And so the righteous are going to dwell with God. However, God is holy. He can't dwell in uncleanness and sin. And when Adam sinned, the kingdom of God had to depart the earth. And so for God to dwell again among his creation, the wicked have to be removed, as God will not dwell with the wicked. Verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch the people with fire. They were seared by intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. Now you've all heard of global warming, right? Well, global warming is something that was written in the book of Revelation 2,000 years ago in the first century. However, it's not going to be caused by carbon emissions or because you have a gas stove or a furnace. It's one of the plagues of God is going to bring about on the wicked. And while the sun is darkened in Egypt, this is not exactly the same even though it involves the sun. And notice that it says that still the wicked refuse to repent and glorify God, even though they knew that God was bringing these things about. In thinking of our first century disciples of Yeshua, we have to remember that in Rome, there was a sun god, Mithras. He was the sun god of Rome. And so for our people in the first century, this would have been a plague that was directed at Mithras. Mithras was the protector of Caesar. And instead of protecting here, the sun destroys. 
It also shows two things. First, the mercy of God, as he again is trying to get people to repent. And second, it shows how corrupt they are in that they're not willing to repent. And just let me say this. There is a point in one's life that if they slip so far into sin and following the wicked that they can't repent. There's a point that one is so convinced theirself of lies of the evil one to the degree that even if Yeshua would walk up to him in person and personally offer them the good news and relief from the sun, they still would not believe and repent. See, you can reach a point of no turning back to God. Hebrews speaks of such a sin. Next, we get another plague of the Exodus, plague of darkness. It says in Revelation 16.10, it says, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed god of heaven because of their pains and their sores but they refused to repent for what they had done again they refused to repent and god is showing that he's the creator he scorches the earth with the sun and then darkness on the earth there's no sun and again these are judgments against the beast and his followers and we know that it's against his followers because it keeps on saying still they did not repent. Also, just as in the Exodus was against the Egyptian god Ra, the sun god, so too these first century followers of Yeshua may have seen it as a direct assault against the belief in Mithras and the Roman god Sol, uh, who also is a sun god and was protector of the emperors. Verse 21 of the Exodus, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. This darkness that's poured out from this bowl is going to be like the darkness in Egypt. It will be a darkness that can be felt. At this point, the people are in such pain with boils because unlike Egypt, as I said, God hasn't relented from any of these plagues and healed the boils as he did in Egypt. Stopped the flies and the frogs when Pharaoh begged. Here, there's no relief from these plagues. And here, with the sores and the burns of the sun, and now darkness, that means you're not moving anywhere. It's too dark to even move. And they have to sit here and dwell in their pain and realize these plagues are from God, and yet they don't repent. And also with this plague, the understanding of the first century followers of Yeshua may have been, again, another direct assault against Mithras. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare a way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs, and they came out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And they are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. And they go out to the kings of the whole world and gather them for a great battle on the great day of God Almighty. The Euphrates River and the Tigris River were important to Babylon, both to its economy and to its defense. The Euphrates flowed right through Babylon, and it was a very deep river, impossible to cross for an army to cross to attack Babylon. And so it made a barrier of defense for Babylon. And so for the river Euphrates to dry up, it would mean not only a financial disaster, but a possible invasion of Babylon. And we have a historical example of this. You see, when Cyrus defeated Florida, he did it by diverting the Euphrates River so that it dried up enough 
it was so shallow that it gave the army of Cyrus easy access to Babylon. They just had to wade waist deep to get into Babylon. And so this speaks of the destruction of Babylon, and that's the topic for next week. Jeremiah speaks of its destruction in several places. In chapter 51, in several verses, I'll read verse 36 first. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am judging your case. I am taking vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. And then in 41, it says how Babylon has been conquered and the praise of all the earth captured, how Babylon has become a desolation among the nations. And then in verse 44, I will punish those who worship Bel in Babylon. I will plunder his possessions from him and people shall not again be subject to him. Also, the walls of Babylon shall be cast down. And so again, for our first century followers, They're thinking of not the destruction of Babylon, but they're thinking of the destruction of Rome. She is the Babylon here. For us, it would represent whatever world power, whatever the world order is. Those spirits are like frogs. They're going to deceive. The kings of the earth will be deceived by demons. That will bring about their final demise. They're going to be gathered for a battle. It won't be much of a battle because Yeshua has already won the battle. But this will be the destruction of the kings of the earth and a lot of casualties on one side and none on the other. And verse 15 says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now that's kind of a misleading verse because the Hebrew would not be Armageddon. It would be Har Megiddo which is the Mount of Megiddo. And it literally means mountain of the crowds. And I'm going to explain why as we go on. You see, Megiddo sits above the Jezreel Valley. And I put a picture of the Jezreel Valley here so that you can see just how vast this valley is. It was a valley that traders had to pass through if they wanted to go from, say, Egypt in the south to Europe or Damascus in the north if they wanted to travel by land. There was usually a tariff to be paid. And the point being, this was an important valley, a valley of many battles for control of this route from the north to the south. And I put a picture of the Mount of Megiddo up here. This is what would be the Mount of Megiddo. And it looks like a natural mountain with a city on top, right? But it is actually a tell. And a tell is a place where city after city was built upon one another. A city would be destroyed by war, and then the victors would build another city right on top. And so that's how this mountain got to be so high. It's actually Tel Megiddo, and it has 20 of these cities built on top of one another. And that should tell you why it's called the Mountain of Crowds. It also speaks to the importance of controlling this valley. So this is where the kings are gathered for war. And John is using this name here because of the many wars and battles that were fought here and in the valley below. Now we'll read verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts. The cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, about a hundred pounds, fell 
upon men and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. And so with this, the judgment is done as it says in verse 17. And verse 18 tells us that the kingdom of God is coming into the earth, the thunderings and the lightning and the earthquakes again, all representative of Mount Sinai and the kingdom of God. And they're gathered to the place of their destruction. And I find it interesting that they're gathered to Har Megiddo and not the valley of Megiddo. But then when I thought about it, I thought in the light of John's thinking, he might be thinking of Yom Kippur here. And these folks have come to the mountain of their judgment. Just as the goat for Azazel was pushed off the mountain and dashed against the rocks below, maybe this was what was on his mind because they're going to be cast into a pit, a lake of fire. And you can see how immense that valley was. All the cities and the nations collapse. That is the rule of the present evil age collapses. Islands and mountains mean there's no place even to hide. Islands and mountains in the Bible are nations. Isaiah uses these terms. In Isaiah 42, 12, he says, let them give glory to Adonai and declare his praise in the islands. Okay, that could be translated nations because the islands are the nations. And then he says in Isaiah 13, the sound of Talmud in the mountains like that of many people a sound of uproar of the kingdoms of the nations gathered. Adonai Sevaot is mustering his army for battle. And so the Bible speaks of mountains as cities or nations. It also speaks of mountains as places of worship. Anciently, they would go to the high places. But God has defeated the beasts and nothing can save them from what is happening. In the next chapter, we're going to again back up as in typical Revelation style. And while we see here Babylon has been destroyed, in the next chapters, we're going to see the destruction of Babylon more closely. We're going to get a description of who Babylon is in the next two chapters. We'll read just 17 verses 1 and 2 here tonight. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With, her kings of the, with the kings of the earth, she committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And so what's being said here is there are no kings or nations left, as we left off in chapter 16. And then in the next chapter, we're going to back up again as a typical Revelation style, and we're going to look at the destruction of Babylon. In the next few chapters, we'll be seeing what else has been going on during these plagues. And so what is adultery? In the scriptures called the worship of other gods other than the God of Israel, adultery. The kings of the earth have committed adultery. They committed idolatry with her. Adultery in the Bible is idolatry. The kings and the people committed idolatry with her. So where and who is the great prostitute who sits on many waters? Well, many waters, again, is Babylon or Babel. Babylon was the site of Babel, and they built a tower to the heavens. God confused the language. And so this speaks of Babylon. Not only did the Euphrates run through Babylon, but the Tigris River was just to the east. To give you an idea how lush this land was, because the surrounding land around Babylon was so fertile and so soft that they actually dug many canals. And so the city was known as the land between the rivers or the city of many waters. And so John has Babylon in view here. Of course, we have to remember, while he has Babylon, he's talking about Babylon and Babylon in view. It's also a code word for Rome for the first century believers. And Rome for us would be the present world order is collapsing. The bowls are complete. 
man and demons are judged and now in typical revelation style we'll back up and we're going to look at the destruction but we're going to do that next week